Good afternoon and welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. The clock is ticking. We are down to just one more trading day of 2022. We'll take a look and I'm excited to get the thoughts. Mike Zuzlo, by the way, is joining me with Global Commodity Analytics. I'm excited uh, to get uh, sometime during this conversation Mike's thoughts of the good and the bad of 2022 and what he's looking forward to in these markets in 23. But we've got to really focus on what's been happening in South America. We know that demand is there for that South American crop, especially when it might be coming from somebody like China, for example. But what type of pressure is this crop being put on the U.S.? We know that the weather's been skeptical in areas of Argentina, but pretty decent in Brazil. And we've got a lot of grain that we would like to get moved that maybe hasn't already been claimed. We'll also take a look at, especially with Mike being in Kansas, the continued struggles that we see for this wheat complex. We know wheat does not grow over the winter, but we do know that there's been some big concerns about some recent cold snaps. We'll take a look at that, the happenings on the livestock side, and of course, a focus as we move towards 2023. So Mike, let's kind of start off first because everybody's been talking South America, especially with this weather. It almost sounds like Groundhog's Day, but we just moved countries. We went from the United States dealing with this exact same weather that those in South America are dealing with today. Yeah, and it's interesting because kind of the way you set it up before we started talking just now, Susan, is that we've got a potentially record crop being grown in Brazil right now. And they are right on the cusp of really starting to bring some new crop bushels onto the world market. But fortunately, we have as bad a situation as we've seen going all the way back to 2008 uh, in Argentina when it comes to the drought. Um, Many uh, of the comments I've seen coming out of Argentina, producers in Argentina, are saying that it's as bad, if not worse, than 2008, 2009 for them. And, you know, that's talking about 20-year levels at this point as far as drought conditions. And so you really have to start getting into the numbers and start thinking about, okay, what is the production in total when it comes to both Brazil and Argentina? I've started doing some number crunching uh, as of the first week of December. Um, Now that we're in the last week of December, I'm, I'm pretty solid in terms of the idea that USDA for a total bean crop, Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, has about a 212 million metric ton production number. Obviously, the the biggest number out there, Brazil's 152 crop, makes the vast majority of those three countries. I'm at the top end right now of about 206, 207 million tons, and so I'm probably about 5 million tons light versus what USDA is at. I think that's pretty much where the trade is at. In other words, I'm, I'm pretty much at a point with southern Brazil being as dry as Argentina's main crop belt, um, maybe being the top end of 150 million ton Brazilian bean crop and a 47 million ton uh, soybean crop out of Argentina versus USDA's 49.5. So what all this means is, is that if the weather continues to stay dry in Argentina and southern Brazil, I think you could probably knock one to two percentage points off of the Argentina crop per week over the next four weeks and maybe knock a half to one percentage point crop loss off of Brazil for the next four weeks if southern Brazil stays as dry as it has been. Remember that Argentina is only at 61% planted as far as the last numbers we've seen. That compares to about 77% a year ago and about 80% normally. So they are really hurting in, in Argentina right now. And I think that's really can't be understated. And I think that's why the trade has been watching the meal market specifically. 
So as you look at that, and obviously the fluctuation in the dollar will have some effects as well, but should grain producers be nervous when they look at this crop and knowing the, the world that we're in politically right now and the movement of U.S. grain? Always, and I think that's where, you know, 2023, and, and you know, I think this is something we talked just touched on in the midday today, 2023, I think, promises to be as volatile, if not more volatile, uh, than 2022 does because, one, we have not gotten any kind of solution in the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, that is still something that the trade has kind of ignored at this point, in my opinion, and, and we've taken all the premium out of the war uh, prices in terms of natural gas, wheat prices. It's interesting to note, Susan, as we end 2022, corn and beans look like they're going to close up about 14 percent in both commodities uh, as we versus the end of 2021 meal up about 13 percent soybean oil up about 18 percent but soft red wheat is going to barely close positive versus a year ago we were closed at 770 and three quarters at the end of 2021 and so i think between that and the central banks uh, especially central banks in russia and china and other asian countries have been reportedly buying a lot more gold than normal uh, i think the volatility is going to be very very rampant in 2023 uh some energy data uh, came out today. What are your thoughts and how does that then equivalent back to, to agriculture? Well, it makes sense that the ethanol production dropped about 6.5% this past week versus the prior week, not just because of the holidays, but we also can drill down into the energy data when we look at the diesel demand and the unleaded gasoline demand. The four-week averages on those two both down almost 7% versus a year ago. So we're crunching through about 8.7 million barrels a day of unleaded, about 3.8 million barrels a day of distillates, both of those down almost 7%. So it makes sense we're blending less ethanol, producing less ethanol, because our demand is starting to get hit with the higher interest rates and, and this inflationary pressure that we've been dealing with for almost 15, 16 months now. We're ready to move forward and get some positive news for this ethanol industry, that's for sure. And it's probably going to be very difficult to lose the inflationary pressure. And I think that's where the commodity index funds will probably be our friend in the commodities the first quarter, maybe the first half of 2023, because I think the Federal Reserve wants to become more neutral, but yet the Congress keeps passing these massive spending bills, and those are going to be very inflationary. So I think the, the big banks and the commodity index funds probably are starting to prepare for that. All right, more is coming up. Stick around. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we continue our conversation this afternoon with Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. And, you know, sometimes, Mike, I almost wish folks could listen to what we talk about during the commercial break because it does lead into a little bit of interesting discussion on the backside. And there's so many factors um, that are working into these livestock uh, numbers, especially the fact that we just seem to be butting heads between the Packers and the feedlots once again, and not a lot of cash moving for a Thursday afternoon headed into a holiday weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, this is not uncommon for the holidays, but it seems like it gets more and more concentrated each and every year during the holidays. And, you know, I remember sitting down with a fund manager in Chicago back after the financial crisis. And we got to remember after the financial crisis, a lot of laws changed in terms of how you could make recommendations, what you could do as a commodity analyst and researcher and, and, and also a commodity broker. 
and you know a lot of things changed in Congress, and that, that really drove the um, regulations in terms of compliance. And um, we also, as a as a natural kind of movement out of that, Susan, and those changes in the laws saw a real big increase in computer-driven trading um, because then a physical person was not on the hook for having made a recommendation that could be looked at as um, maybe not as, as fair because he had a position or she had a position that she was recommending um, that was being sent out to clients. And, you know, it got pretty sticky after the financial crisis. And so a lot of funds and commodity traders um, came in using computers, using AI and algorithms, and we saw kind of an exodus of the big banks, the long-only funds. And, we you know, we still are living off of that at this stage of the game. And so when we get thin volume, we get holiday trade, I do think the spreads become a lot more active. I think certain features in the market become more active, and, and it makes it harder to talk about the supply-demand fundamentals. And then you throw on top of that a week like we had last week where we had a cold storage, quarterly hogs and pigs, and monthly cattle on feed all within a five- or six-day time frame in a cattle cycle where, in a hog cycle where we're pretty confident that the supplies have peaked at this point. And then let's just throw in the fact that we had some of the coldest weather we've had in a very long time over a stretch of many states, which some say the markets didn't fully pay attention to the severity of this weather and cold weather and snow. Yeah, I mean, I think they will if we start to see the market-ready numbers decline next week when we come back full force, <clears throat> excuse me, and we have the the group of people, the employees, the, the workforce back in action after the two-week holiday. But I think you can throw on top of that the latest issue is what's happening with China and their COVID policy and the 180-degree change they've made. Bloomberg has con- kind of confirmed what we've been worried about, that the meatpacking industry and the overall consumption in China is probably going to take a big hit. We know that the meatpacking industry is taking a hit in certain areas because of their report. They just can't find employees right now because the numbers are down, because everyone's getting COVID in some of the biggest areas where livestock production is, is done in, uh, in parts of China, whether it's southern China or northeast China. And so we've got a Chinese uh, X factor out there of what it maybe could hurt us in January, because we don't get as much pork exports into China, beef exports into China. But there are also big banks out there now saying with this shift in Chinese policy, they could go back to a 5% growth in 2023 and have much better commodity demand at the end of 2023 or by the end of 2023, because they've acknowledged this zero COVID policy has done nothing but hurt their consumption. All right. I want to know what is your highlight and low light? of these markets, grain or livestock, in 2022? Well, I think the highlight has been that we did get the Chinese shift. There were two big things as we left 2022 and went into 2023 that I was wanting to give me a potential commodity trend shift to a higher move uh, in, in commodity index funds to come back in. The Chinese shift from the zero COVID, I think, is going to be very good for the markets eventually. What we still haven't seen is the Federal Reserve neutralize their policy and say they've done enough in terms of raising interest rates. I'm hopeful that they will say that in January and say, okay, we've got enough crosswinds now 
that we see inflation getting down to around 2% by the end of 2023 because of what we've already done. If we see those two things come together, I think that takes away a couple big, huge barriers to why the funds would want to not buy commodities. So what I'm getting at is I hope that they come in and give us some pricing uh, upside pricing in the first quarter and second quarter. I would take advantage of those prices, though, and I plan to. Of course, wishing you all a very happy new year, Mike, and looking forward to our conversation into 2023. Best way for folks to get a hold of you. Well, the same with you, Susan. I'm so thankful for our relationship and getting to know you and, and being part of the Rural Radio family. And I do consider us a family at the Rural Radio. And certainly you treat me and all the people I work with at Rural Radio treat me so well. And I really appreciate everything. Best way to get a hold of me is globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Or call me toll free, 866 866- Four seven one twenty five eighty eight and it's good. That is today's Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.